Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 149 is Steve Siolik. He has a band called Superviolet that put out a record earlier this year called Infinite Spring. It came out on Lamo Records, and let me tell you, it is one of my favorite albums of the year. Steve was also the vocalist, guitar player from the band The Sidekicks. I want to let you know that Superviolet has a record release show August 25th if you are in the Midwest. It's going to be in Columbus, Ohio at the Rumba Cafe. But leading up to that, he's doing an East Coast tour with Trace Mountains. It starts August 10th in Washington, D.C. He'll also be playing Philadelphia, Medford, Massachusetts, Hamden, Connecticut, Brooklyn, Asbury Park, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and ending that tour in Columbus at that record release show. I wish I was on that coast because I would love nothing more to than to uh, to see Superviolet live. Let me tell you, this record is fucking unbelievable. I love it so, so much. So this conversation was awesome. I had only met Steve uh, very briefly. Um, Touche played with the sidekicks in michigan once at a kind of this weird festival runoff situation but then i got to see them play in la uh i think we talk about that a little bit in here uh full transparency i am also still recording this ahead of time because i am currently still somehow in europe in real time this tour is coming to an end and i want to let you know the last few dates here we're going to be playing in biarritz france tonight with Boneflower, and then we're going to be playing in Toulouse the next day uh, at a venue called Connection Live, also with Boneflower. Then we're doing a club show in Barcelona. I'm excited to say it's with Boneflower and also a band called Verdugo, which features, I hope he's going to be playing with them that night, uh, Ben Russin of Title Fight. He's in that band because he lives in Barcelona like a fucking badass that he is. And then uh, we end the tour in Madrid at Mad Cool Festival on the 8th i will be flying home on the 9th i will be home to celebrate the 150th episode of this podcast thanks for sticking with me oh i want to let you know if you're new here 
there's a Patreon episode. It's a bonus episode where Steve answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that, plus a whole lot of other bonus material, bonus radio hours, bonus episodes. Plus there's a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff going on over there. I have been doing a bit of a tour update as I've been away. So yeah, if that sounds interesting to you. Please subscribe, patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Steve Seolik. What's up, Steve? It's nice to see you. How are you today? Hello, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I, you're, you're someone that I've only, I think I I know for sure what well, we played together once uh, yes. at like a weird uh, festival that was supposed to be one place and then got moved to another place. Um, yes, in Michigan. In Michigan. And that was very exciting for me because I've been such a fan of your band for so long uh, and I had never seen you guys play. So that was like a nice little bucket list for me. But then I remember I also saw it. I went to the show when you guys played at the Echo. And mm-hmm. I can't remember if we hung it all that night, but I have a specific great memory of you guys uh, bringing Matt McGreevy of Epitaph up on stage. Yes. Uh, to cover people who died, which was yes. just like a culmination of so many of my favorite things because I liked Ben. I love Matt. And that's one of my favorite, like, just throw on jams of all time. So, yeah, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is thanks for all of that, I suppose. I remember. Yeah, I actually specifically remember both of those things as well as our our times being around each other because while we were playing people who died, I remember you were like up on the mic, like maybe one of the few people in the crowd that were even very excited about maybe the, you besides the people that worked at Epitaph, the most excited about that, which felt really fun though. It's almost this weird little inside joke of LA. (laughs) Oh my God. It was, yeah, yeah, I was like, you know, I'm, I just turned 40. So like I'm on the side of, you know, I'm like watching from the side, my arms crossed and then that song came on and I was like, I got to go finger point to this one. I'm sorry. It's got to happen. Oh, I loved it. That was so fun. Yeah, I love Matt. And he was like, yeah, he he like, I was like, you want to play this song? And he was really into trying to do it. I forget what I said. I think I said something like the suits have become the punks or or something like that. I forget. Tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I. It was great, too, because Matt is someone that I love so, so dearly. And I know you do, too. So, like, yeah. But I had never known him to be a guitar player. So the whole thing blew yeah. my mind where I was like, wait, you can play guitar? What the hell? So. Yeah. I think I vaguely maybe remembered that he had played in some bands. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, you could play this song then. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, I th- he was totally down. <laughs> I feel like since then I did punish him about like bands he may have played in or something like that. But uh, yeah, at that yeah. in that exact moment, I was just like, I don't know. My worlds are all colliding right now. I don't know how to how to take all this in. Yeah, um, it's fun to like do something like that with people. I don't know, because, yeah, like you work with this person in in a more of a business kind of manner. And, yeah. yeah, it's fun to just collaborate on music in like a fun way. That's not I don't know. Totally just kind of break down the barrier a little bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I know you are an Ohio person, right? Originally? Are you originally Ohio? Yep. Yep. I grew up in like the Cleveland area in Ohio. And then I've lived in Columbus for the last like 15 years or so. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw that Sidekicks was like considered a Columbus band, but I was also curious because I thought that you were from Cleveland. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, We started the band in Cleveland. Oh, okay. Did you have any other time anywhere else? Like, have you always been Ohio? Just either, yeah, I've always lived in Ohio, so. 
with all your travels was there ever any other places that you ever like kind of considered like we'd be like oh like i could see myself being here uh i think being from the midwest like anytime i went out west it always felt so like magical and it like my mind was blown the first like tour we went out west we like just drive we were on tour with uh, tiger's jaw and we were like just like that whole drive and we did it in like less than 20 days i think so like the drives are really long but like each day there's like such like a I don't know, geographical shift and yeah. And then like getting to the ocean and driving down the like coast, it was just like pretty mind blowing. So I definitely like wanted to move out West at some point, but I'm, I don't know. It would have taken me, It would, I think they would have taken like a reason to do that. And like, just like the band being in Ohio and it like, I don't know, the Midwest, Midwest is kind of easy living. West coast yeah. seems like makes, would make things a little more difficult. It ain't easy out here. I'll tell yeah. you that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've always been, uh, I mean, for musicians in, in particular, I've always been a little jealous of their location because starting a tour, if it starts in on the East Coast or whatever, it's like you're not looking at a terrible drive. You know, it's right. like you're, you're kind of you're, you obviously are central to so many things that uh, starting tours seems very, I, I guess, just like much more suited for the lifestyle. Um, whereas the amount of tours that we always end up having to start in like boston it's just like oh my god yeah do you usually end up flying out or do you just like try to just drive a van across the country uh these days we're in a position to where it is a little easier for us to fly out but i mean the amount of times that we did the straight drive you know like just hoof it in three days situation which is just you know you you, day one you're always like yeah adventure we're gonna do this this is gonna be great and then like seven hours in when you're like finally crossing into like uh, into like utah and you're like we have so much more to go i'm so depressed right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is rough um so let me ask you this when you were growing up what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that like your folks were playing but something that you discovered on your own and made you feel like you had your own identity I can't, I don't know if, so I have two brothers and I don't know if this was like something we all were really into, but I know I really loved like just dance kind of music that was like, like it would either be like jock jams or like weird mixes that were like disco dance hits or like millennial funk. And like, I feel like we'd go to like the CD store and I would like try to get whatever new, they would just always be making these like mixes. It was, you know that era's playlist i suppose so i just remember getting those kind of cds and then just dancing like really really hard in my living room and i feel like that that is definitely something that i always connected with um and then i feel like i used to also just like i would just listen to the radio like either there's jam in 92.3 in cleveland and then there was like a hip-hop station i think and there might and like i would sometimes listen to the rock station but not as much it was more like top pop kind of whatever was going on and like in the 90s that was like sort of had everything like there was hip-hop and rock um and i remember like i remember when wonderwall was on the radio and i remember like figuring out how to like harmonize with it because i can't remember if there is a harmony in it but i remember coming up with my own harmony to this song and sitting there and just thinking about like like experiencing you know just like the feeling of your notes sort of like interacting with this other note in this harmony. And I couldn't do it on like other songs, but for whatever's in that song specifically, I was like, Oh, I can like hit this harmony. Um, so that also felt very like, I don't know, this connection I had that was maybe more like 
I don't know, more directly informed like how I started to like play music too. This is before I played any instruments and stuff. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah. just real quick, like to go back uh, to the first part of that with yeah, like- I threw a lot at you. No, 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 I like, <laughs> I, it was great. It was great. Um, with uh, with like the dance music, are we talking like the like uh, CNC Music Factory, like that type of stuff or like a little later on, like the, um, I'm trying to think of like other like jock jams type stuff. Well, the jock jam stuff, I feel like it would have, it was kind of more like pop stuff because they would have okay. like Notorious B.I.G. and like, but then they'd also just have like, yeah, I don't know. Like they, it'd be like stuff that would be on like the Space Jam soundtrack and okay. like that kind of thing. Sure. Um, But like the, the like disco dance hits and like millennium, millennial funk type stuff. I feel like that was like like sort of true to like if you were just like looking looking up like big hits of like you know 70s the like 70s disco and funk yeah it'd be yeah. i don't know it'd be like cool in the gang and like i don't know there was probably like some bg songs on there got it like sly in the family stone like probably a lot of that sort of era stuff okay that for sure cool. yeah. um and then so i mean you're talking about harmonizing with oasis like in the car uh does that's no, me. just it, just at, just my with my radio. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if you meant like when <laughs> when your parents were driving or something. No, like I just like by myself, and because yeah, I would just like tape, like just tape the songs that I liked off the oh, radio. Okay. So it'd be like whatever was going on, and I would like tape the song, put it on my cassette, and then then you got your your little mixtape. Um, did so that's straight. I mean, that tells me that you were singing at a young age. Was that something that you realized you can do when you were? like were you like having to sing in quiet like a choir at all or like did you have any sort of like church background there or anything like that like when did you discover that you could sing um i grew so i grew up like catholic so you like but i feel like the church i went to like people are kind of like mumble singing and i definitely don't feel like i was like really stoked about singing out loud <laughs> sure uh and and i never i never did any like theater or any kind of like singing I just like I kind of just played sports growing up, honestly. Like I wasn't like a, a very like artistic in that way. My mom sang a lot growing up, and I feel like I would probably sing almost like jokingly in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know, like sing along with music, but I never took my I never thought of myself as like a singer until probably until I started playing in a band and like being like, oh, I guess I can sing. Yeah, that's got to be an exciting feeling. Like, do you remember the first time you realized that, that was possible? I mean, probably like, so yeah, just like when we started playing as a band and this is the sidekicks, yeah. my first band. <laughs> and uh, we pretty much like, I think like the other guy who played guitar in the band PD, he like wrote some songs and we were sort of just jamming on his ideas. And then I wrote a song and I like was singing it. And I feel like, I don't know, that was, yeah, like maybe the first time they even heard me sing or something. And they were like, oh, that's Steve, your song's good. Let's play that again. You're like, you yeah. get this feedback where it's like, that was fun. Let's do it again. Just like keep going. And right. It's, I don't it's know. Hard. Go ahead. I was going to say it's funny. Yeah. Like, I felt like I could sing okay, but I also was trying to be sort of like, it was like singing in like a punk way. Like, I don't know. I probably sounded sure. older then than how I sing now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's like, it's hard not to sometimes, especially doing the show, sometimes with some of the answers you get or questions I ask, like, I have this idea of like the, the music biopic moment when all mm -hmm. of a sudden the person starts singing and everybody in the room's head turns and they're like, oh, he can do it. You know, yeah. And, like it sometimes fits, and like sometimes you hear those stories, and you're like, yeah, I guess that stuff actually happens. Um, yeah. 
well, well, we'll definitely get there uh, to to once the sidekick starts. But um, I know you just before we started uh, actually recording here, you pulled out some CDs. So I wanted to ask, what was the first album that you remember buying? Okay, so well, I feel like I don't think I bought those like like whatever disco CDs and stuff with my own money. So I almost don't count that. Sure. I feel like I know like there are definitely CDs I'd always take with me, like on the bus, like that I felt like were like mine. Like I know I had like, and it, some of it though would just end up being like whatever was really big, like pop music at the time. Cause I don't even feel like this might've been like pre internet. Like, I don't think, I, I don't know how else I would have found out about stuff besides like MTV or like the radio. Right. So I know I had, I know I had jagged little pill by Alanis Morissette. I remember that was one of like my CDs. Um, I think I had Britney Spears. I think I had like Spice Girls. Um, and then I feel like I started like skateboarding and stuff. And this is before I started like playing guitar. And then I was just buying like whatever kind of like punk CDs that I okay. could, could think of. Um, as you can tell, I just can't decide on things, so I'm just giving you multiple answers for everything. No, I like it. I like it. I like it. You... So I know I bought. I think I. I don't know. Remember which number it was, but I know I. I very early on of my like, I'm buying some CDs. I'm trying to find some cool like punk CDs. I think I bought like, like, some forty one. Does this look infected? And like, I think I bought like some like Johnny Cash greatest hits. I found this. Um, you are seriously this all over ex- the place. I like this it. experience. Experience Hendrix. Oh yeah, kind of greatest hits deal. That was like I started playing guitar. Though I'm gonna like get you know get some cool guitar music. Right, right, um, right. When you you know you mentioned uh, like Britney Spears and the Spice Girls, and then you started buying punk CDs once you started skateboarding. Yeah. Um, did you <laughs> did you like continue to still enjoy the pop stuff, or did you? feel like now that you have this sort of identity you're like not listening to that stuff anymore or was it always kind of open to you i think at some point yeah it was very much like once i identified as like i'm punk i think i almost like i my mind became very closed off to music that wasn't like a certain way and at some point it became even more like really hyper specific to a style of punk where i'm like no i don't like like Cause I probably liked, I got like I liked like Blink One Eighty Two and like some of those kinds of like punk bands that were on the radio, yeah, and like on MTV. But then once I got, started getting into like Epitaph and like Fat Records bands, I was like, I'm only into this type of like punk and like street punk, honestly. Okay, what were <laughs> yeah. some like? Did you ever dress the part? Did you ever uh, do the leather jacket and studs and all that stuff? Uh, not really. Sanders, who um plays played drums in the sidekicks and was like we met like very early on like in high school um he would dress the part and he had a punk vest that had like studs and like patches and stuff on it yeah and at some point i made a punk vest but i feel like i was too embarrassed to ever i think i put it on and i would just be like i can't do it so i would i would just wear like you know skateboarding or band t-shirts yeah, yeah, but I never, I never like spiked up my hair because I like went to Catholic school and stuff, so I couldn't have like dyed mm. hair or something like that. Not to say that that would have, I don't know, changed anything. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. It's it's uh, it's funny. Do you? I don't know if you know Dan Ozzy, um, writer Dan Ozzy, but uh, yeah, yeah, he 
he and I both had a conversation recently where like we both own leather jackets and I at one point like I I tried it you know like I put it on and I was like I know I look kind of cool but I was like I'm just not a leather jacket guy like it's just yeah. like, <laughs> like I feel like I'm I'm looking like someone that I want to be as opposed to who I am like it's just like I can't pull this off I, I don't know I don't know and yeah. I, got, I got really like anxious about it <laughs> it's almost like a move you got to make if you like move to a new city and nobody knows you and then you're just always wearing the leather jacket and then everyone's just like what do you mean he always wears yes. this <laughs> yes because if you put one on now like you go out and was like oh leather oh, jacket guy <laughs> exactly and I don't want to have that I don't want to have that moment you know what I'm saying like it's like I'm not I'm not strong enough mentally to deal with people being like, Ooh, look at yeah. you fancy leather jacket guy. It's just, yeah, yeah. not, not my style. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I always admired the like punk style, but I could never, I don't know, like the fashion part of it all. I couldn't commit to. I feel yeah. like I'm an adventurous person, person at times with some fashion things. Like I'm just like, I'll, I'll wear some cool weird shirt, but yeah, the punk fashion, I never could like, yeah, bring myself to feel it i feel it what was the first concert you went to um so the first well besides raffi i know i saw raffi but that barely counts um (laughs) but then i saw so once i met sanders like he was like he was a little more in the know about like punk and stuff um and he was like oh there's this local band playing they're playing at um this place called the fantasy and uh it was there this band is called the radicals and then the other band was called Johnny Psycho. And they were like kind of this Psycho Billy band. So we went and saw them. And I have the Johnny Psycho CD. But I don't have the cover. Were um, they like a local songs. band? or they Yeah, these are both okay. local bands. But okay. they were really fucking good. They never okay. really toured. Johnny Psycho um, is like the singer of that band. Is my friend now, Andy Cook. He plays guitar in St. Seneca. And he's like, we've he's he went on he played in this other band called ghost town trio that we, that the sidekicks toured with. Like that was like our second tour, I think, or third tour or something like that. So he kind of became a friend, but at that time, like he was up on stage with like a Gretsch and he was just like, he just shredded, like was such, he was like an incredible songwriter and like in high school, like one of those people that you're just like immediately, I don't know, just, just had it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have, I saw that show. I have uh, Andy Cook in some notes here about stuff that you put on uh, that you ended up working like working with him or or something like that later on. Um, so that's interesting that that was the first place that you saw that, that you saw him perform. Yeah, um, I love talking about it with him, too, because we'll be hanging out now. I'm like, dude, Andy, like you were literally my first concert. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And then the second concert was the casualties, a global threat and the Briggs. So that was the more street punk. Wow. Um, Where was and that, that show? was? Oh, what the heck? What was it called? I like, forget the... what the venue was called, but it was like this real like divey bar in Cleveland. And I can't remember like it was almost like you go in. It was almost like in like like a pit, like kind of basement. And you could like see down it, onto the pit. And Sanders mom actually ended up chatting, like chatting with the bassist from the casualties <laughs> for like a really long time, like for like 40 minutes. We were like, Sanders, where's your mom? And then we look around and like, oh, and she's like, oh, I was talking to the bass player. He was really nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> like and he's all like spiky hair. Yeah. It's just like it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Those guys truly look the part. Uh, yeah. Is that venue gone? I'm assuming. I think, yeah, I've, I had never, I've actually, I think I only went there that one time and that sure. was it. So I, I can't remember what it is. I could probably find this out, but yeah. Yeah. I was curious if that would have been at like the grog shop or something like that, but I'm assuming that was maybe a bigger spot, but I don't know how big that tour would have been back then. 
I think at that time, because, well, it wasn't at the grog shop, and the current grog shop moved, it was on, like, the same street on Coventry in Cleveland, but I think it was in, like, a smaller space, and now it moved to this larger one, but Mm. this, I don't know, this, that venue, I can't remember the name of, though. Got it, got it. Uh, So, was guitar your first instrument? Uh, yes. Okay. At what age did you start playing? Uh, I think I got it when I was 14. Okay. What was the first guitar? Or 13 or 14. Yeah. What was it? What kind of guitar? Uh, Squire Strat. I got the Squire Strat starter pack. I wanted to play bass. And then Josh, who played bass in the sidekicks, um, he got a bass before I did. Because like PD had a guitar, and then I and then we were like, oh, be co- we need someone to have a bass, and it was, and I was like, oh man, I think bass would be cool. And then eventually he got he got one before me, so then it didn't make sense for two people to have bass, so I just had to get a guitar. And that, yeah, that was what co- what colorway? White and black, red and white. White and black. Yeah, okay. I wish I brought it, but yeah, it's got it's all it's got all the stickers on it, so it looks sweet. What kind of <laughs> stickers? Was it band stickers or what? Yeah, band stickers. There's like every like big punk i think i had like you know the big punk bands i had a, i think there was a casualty sticker there was a rancid sticker there was i think some kind of no effect sticker i think there was a van sticker which is funny yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like covered i can't remember yeah. what else was on it dropkick murphy's probably i okay. don't know if you okay. named some i bet it was on it <laughs> yeah 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 uh it's yeah i feel like being from the west coast uh i feel like no effects that like punk and drublick was one of those albums that was just put in your mailbox if you were a certain age i was like this is yeah. now your this is now your life this so sorry this is whatever you were into this is now your entire soundtrack uh oh did, yeah did you have a favorite no effects record um i mean i think hmm, probably either punk and drublick or pump up the volume hmm fair like i think those were the ones i list- ended up listening to the most for whatever reason yeah um that was how me and sanders met because i think he was like singing some no effects song and we were sitting in history class and i was like is that no effects and he was just like yeah and then we started like talking and it's like wow we like this this yeah. really neat i don't know like specific band like yeah the no classic... one else in our school is listening to punk bands pretty much sure so. Yeah, the that classic like, did we just become best friends moment. Yeah, um, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Did uh so how soon after once you you actually got the guitar, did you start the sidekicks? I don't know how long it took before like we were it was like I have this guitar and I'm figuring out how to play it before we actually like started trying to play songs like as a group. But I know there was a short period of time when it was like it was me, PD, and Josh, and we didn't have anyone playing drums. We just were playing like stuff on guitar and bass. And maybe we figured out like one of PD's songs he had written. It's just like kind of power chords or whatever. I don't remember if we even like were playing like covers together or anything. Like I feel like we started trying to write songs like pretty early because we're like yeah. we want to we want to start a band. You know, like this is a thing we want to try to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it was within the first like six months of like getting the guitar i think we started like playing we weren't called the sidekicks initially though what were you called that group was called fiction okay and then sanders joined um this is kind of this is kind of going along with your question i don't know if i'm sealing your thunder which one but, well one. first band oh yeah yeah no this please this is yeah we're, we're at first band we're talking about first band okay yeah well so yeah it was called fiction and then Sander, we got Sanders to join to play drums because 
it was like we need a drummer and he's like i play drums and i'm punk and he could only play the really fast like he couldn't even play it wasn't it was like that was the speed that i'm playing at. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah 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 i think we ended up having some songs that were a little different but for the most part it was like we're playing that yeah beat. um and then we had someone that sang, was a lead singer for a short period of time. And then we were during that period of time, we were called Riot Control. Okay. Which is strange, because that's just like the cops. <laughs> 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 but <laughs> it's like, I, you know. It's a word. In hindsight. It, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. We, but we, you know. We didn't, that never, that, that band never, we never played out, luckily. We were like, I don't know how, if this is working. We weren't totally into him being the singer. And also, I think that was when they were like, oh, Steve, we like this song that you wrote. Like, mm. let's play, let's play that. Because I think we would play a song I wrote and he wouldn't sing that one. And then I think we were just kind of like, well, we like this song the best. So we're just going to do that. And then I started like singing more. Right. Did that person ever go on to be in any other bands? No, it was kind of mean. I feel bad about it, honestly, because it's like you're 15. Like, why yeah. are we taking ourselves so seriously right now? Totally. But yeah. I think, though, what the sidekicks eventually ended up doing, though, like maybe, you know. Yeah. Maybe, if anything, that we we knew that we were serious about it then. Yeah. 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 No, it's funny how dramatic all of that stuff always is when you're young. You know, I mean, it's obviously gets yeah. dramatic when you're older, too, for different reasons. But, yeah, when you're a kid, it's like having to figure out ways to kick people out of bands or to, like, ask somebody not to be in the band or whatever the situation is. It's always, like, the worst. The uh, we of, had like, a friend who was, tech, who was uh, technically managing us at the time. Oh, my and gosh. She, and she kicked him out. So that's even worse. Oh. <laughs> hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. So what was the first show you played? Um, we played it a battle of the bands at Peabody's. Okay. Besides like setting up our, we set up our equipment in like our, our friend's garage and just played to nobody. Just like, we were just like, we're going to play a show now and open our garage up and anyone walking by could hear it. And like our few friends watched this. I feel like that doesn't count. Um, but yeah, we played a battle of the bands at Peabody's. We sold tickets I think it was like eight to ten dollars a piece. I think we sold like seventy tickets or something, Jeez. which is wild. And just yeah. handed the cash over to this venue. Thank you so much for letting us play. And you play your time slot at the Battle of Bands was based on how many tickets you sold. So I, there was a few other bands I think that sold more tickets than us, which is wild. Um, yeah. And at that show. Uh, I think I broke two or three strings and no. I didn't have a backup guitar and and I would break the string and then I just like went to the side of the stage and just changed the string during during the set. And I feel like I know now, like there's people now who are really fast at doing that and I was like, definitely took like two or three minutes to like sit there and change the string. Oh. Um, and so we had this guy, this, there was this punk guy 
he was like a little older than us. His name was Tomboy, and he was there at the show. And so uh, PD, our like, guitar player, started playing uh, the song Radio by Rancid, and we had Tomboy like sing it, except he like didn't know the words. So <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got it, I got it. And it's like, I don't know, like goes into it and just like totally loses the song within like 10 seconds. Uh, um, probably just knows and that the whole chorus. set was recorded too, so that was fun oh, to good. listen back to. And then oh, I broke good. another string, and I forget what other song we tried. He vaguely tried covering, and it didn't totally work. So that oh was like God. pretty much like the worst possible f- it, for me. Like it was devastating. Yeah. Just like wow, we blew it. Like I broke these strings. <laughs> wow. So going into the show that you ended up playing next, were you like ultra prepared? Where you're like, I'm changing my strings before the show. I must have, yeah. But I actually, I feel like, or I had a backup guitar, maybe. I don't know, but. Yeah, I don't I don't think I think I knew that that was a, like a dumb thing to do after that. Be like, don't try to change your string for the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we started playing more shows with friends after that, too. So then you're like, yeah, you have a guitar that you can like borrow or whatever. Totally, totally, totally. So I'm assuming you did not win. No, we didn't win. Okay. Do you remember <laughs> who was... did win? No, I, I uh, yeah, I feel like we even like left after we played. It was just Classic. Like, Let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We gave this place all of our money. Now let's leave after yeah. this uh, catastrophe of a show. Um, yeah. What uh, what was the first time you ever recorded? Um, so through that punk guy tomboy, he had a friend. This guy Pete, and he's like, he's like, my friend Pete, he'll record you. And we're like, okay. And so we went to his house, and he had like a little. He had just had a computer in his garage, and uh, he. I I feel like. I don't know how much recording experience he had, like if he'd only recorded himself or if he, cause we didn't play any of anything like, um, with each other playing. Like, I feel like either it was like, either we just tracked the drums first and I tried to play guitar over it, or I tracked the guitar first and he had to play drums over it. But however we did it ended up being so like, like, cause there's no click or whatever. And there was parts in our songs that just cut out, but we didn't do like a scratch vocal or anything. So it, there was parts of the song that was like completely off time. Just like, it was a total like learning experience of like, yeah. all right, like we probably should have just redone the whole thing, but we were like, well, you know, you can, you know, you eventually get back on track and you start playing to this beat. And then, yeah. So that was the first, was yeah, the first one. Was the band, the sidekicks at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the first, there was this EP. It was like, uh, it just like had a skull on it that PD had drawn that looked kind of cool. It was sort of like our logo for a period of time. Okay, we should have <laughs> brought it back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I don't. It, it didn't have a name. It just was like the Sidekicks EP or something. Okay, and it was just like a CDR that you guys made or something. Yeah. Oh uh, no. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we never like had it like pressed somewhere. I feel like any cases that we had, we just like would buy it and print out the case and then. Maybe we like had some kind of logo printer on it because the CD itself had a skull on it. I don't think I have one, but okay, okay. Yeah. Um, how soon after, like, or did you guys do many demos or anything like that from there till when uh, you ended up doing the uh, So Long Soggy Dog record? Um, yeah, we did two more EPs. We did the We Will Fight EP, which is definitely the most political Sidekicks <laughs> album. Um, yeah, the songs are like My Little Nationalist, All wow. for One, We Will Fight, 
revolution now exclamation point (laughs) and how old are you at this point are you like 16 15 yeah probably probably 16 okay where does a band that i discovered uh called lose the tude enter your life at what that was that was when i was in columbus that was uh the people from the band delay okay and uh so that's a little later Yep, yep. That was like I moved to Columbus, and I kind of partially like wanted to move to. Col- I went there f- to Columbus for school, but like part of the reason why I wanted to move there was because there was this like DIY punk scene there, and people from the band like Delay, um, and Tin Tin Armor, they all lived there, and I was like, well, I'm gonna move there. And they had this. I think they had they had already released this. Yeah, this hardcore album called Lose the Tude, and then they needed another. I don't know. They whoever played guitar, I think, didn't want to play guitar anymore, so they asked me. Okay. Was it yeah. fun for you to just like step in and just just play guitar and not sing? Oh yeah, that band was yeah, probably some of the most fun sets. I mean, I don't know. Hardcore is like probably one of the most fun things to do live, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially playing guitar, like it's pretty fun. Right. Right, right, right. Is that and I'm assuming that band like is that a band that like you guys will get together every now and again just for fun or is that like long gone? Uh I don't think they play anymore. I sort of like I played on one or two recordings that we did and then I, I would play shows like it was a very on and off band i don't think i ever toured with them it was just kind of like yeah there was there was like sort of a revolving cast especially when it like of guitar players of that band so yeah i don't i don't think it's really i could i think we could say it's a defunct band because i saw that andy cook did something with that band did he record or was he in that band andy cook recorded the first ep they did but i i don't think i was there Oh, yeah. okay. I hadn't moved to Columbus yet, and they started lose the tune, and they like, yeah, got it, got it. It's okay. kind of like a seven, a seven seconds sort of inspired like posse kind of hardcore. Yeah, not a joke really, because we'd play with like legit hardcore bands, and I felt, but I felt like we were almost like, I don't know, like it was a little like effeminate and like like the opposite of like we were playing shows with like hardcore bands where people are like just with leaving with like giant like had gotten clocked in the face and stuff, and we were like. The, whatever the opposite of that would be at sure of course show that's what we were trying to do <laughs> yeah 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 uh so the f- i have a question of like first release so i know we went through some demos but like was what came first was it the so long soggy dog or was it the sam seven inch there seems to be like a little bit of discrepancy like I- information on the internet where i couldn't tell which was first oh uh yeah so long soggy dog that okay. one i that that full length we like wrote kind of during high school i was like maybe a junior in high school and we wrote like most of those songs and like kind of like finished up writing them and then recorded it like while i was like a senior in high school i guess okay and that album came out like i think we got our cd release show might have been like the friday before i moved to columbus i feel like it was like Mm. and and also it was like yeah so it was kind of like this weird moving away party and then the soggy dog house was this house that was like um our friends had lived at and like sanders ended up moving into and we would like book a lot of shows there for touring bands and stuff so it was kind of like a i don't know that was like a pretty important like moment i guess and just like your first full-length album like putting like a collection of songs together i feel like that was a big like i don't know yeah that was like a pretty big moment for me i feel like musically where it was like oh okay like you kind of figure out like how how a collection of songs fits together. And I feel like I was like very hooked on trying to make albums from pretty much that point on. Um, I know it got 
reissued a couple years later by Red Scare. But was that original version? Was did you guys do like the shrink wrap actual CD pressing kind of a thing for that? Yeah, we pressed a thousand CDs, yeah. and I think we—I don't know if we sh- if we got them shrink wrapped, but Ep- or Red Scare. So Brendan Kelly, for, who also who did Red Scare with Toby, he he MySpace messaged me literally the day that I moved to Columbus. I was like in the dorms at Ohio State, and I got this message on MySpace, and he was like, "Hey, this is Brendan Kelly," and I feel like we were like is this fake? Yeah. Are we being trolled? What is happening? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it's his MySpace page. It's him. Yeah. He was like, I I don't know. He was like, I really like this CD. Like red, we would want to put it out on red scare. And then we like just talked and they, they, we shipped all the CDs to them and they put like stickers on them, I think. So they could sell them on, um, what would have been the punk like website? You buy like an interpunk interpunk. Wow. So they're selling them on interpunk. I think. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what was the first tour you ever did? Um, so then that that would have been in 2007. We we um, did like a short, I think it was like 10 days or something in December. It was pretty snowy. And we played a bunch of shows with O Pioneers, um, who were like this two-piece band um they would like play the fest and stuff our friend yeah. eric um yeah so we played i think all the shows were with o pioneers i'm pretty sure and then two or three of the shows were with bomb the music industry on that and one of the shows was with uh lagricia which is um the singer from none more black oh okay um his band we played with them in new york city so that our first tour was actually like really good yeah all the shows <laughs> happened uh yeah all the shows were like yeah like pretty great <laughs> yeah that's awesome i always always knew of o, o pioneers because i've known the fake problems guys since like they started and i know that those two bands are really close friends like early on i could on. see that yeah. yeah yeah um what was did you guys do the fest a ton of times yeah i i think maybe 2008 or 9 would have been the first year we did it but i i feel like it became pretty much a I don't know, a yearly thing until I don't remember the last time we did it, maybe 2015 or something. Do you have any, uh, do you have any like special memories of like any specific shows that you guys did there? Um, I don't know. One year, <laughs> one year Sanders couldn't come down. This is maybe like the worst of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. One year Sanders wasn't able to play it and it was like last minute. Like, like there was like a family thing that went on. So we like, couldn't do it. But I feel like I were like, well, I'm still going to go down and play. So I just was like, I'll just play a solo set. And I think like, I think like me and Matt, I forget if Matt like saying like did like harmonies and stuff. And we were like, we just like played like a solo set or something. And I think Tony from the fest got like really pissed. He was just like, he thought we did it. He was like, you guys just want to come down and get into the fest for free. And like, you want to get your friend free meal passes. <laughs> he was so mad. And oh I like, my God. it didn't dawn on me because I felt like we had like, I don't know, like we obviously the fest is like a serious thing. It's a yeah. big festival. But I also felt like the way that we had toured in that, you know, up till that point was just very like DIY. Like you just show up, I don't know, just play a set, whatever. Yeah. And I feel like I was just like, Well, I don't know. We wanted to go down here, I'll just play anyways. So that was <laughs> sure. I don't know. That was funny. I thought the set was good. I played a bunch of new songs. I played a bunch of songs that ended up being on awkward breeds, just like solo. And I was just like, Well, I have this song. I think this song's pretty good. Yeah. Um 
That's but what... Tony wasn't into it. I don't think he was there because actually after we played, a bunch of people left. So I don't know. And sure. whoever the next band was, it did not go well. Uh, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> we weren't allowed to play the next year. Oh my god, it's so funny. I don't think I ever actually had any communi- any like one-on-one time with Tony, but we definitely uh, skirted getting in trouble just about every time we did it because we were the dumb band that was like trying to do as many after shows as possible. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, we never did the after show stuff. We would always like do fun things. Like we we did like uh, the intro. We did uh, the intro to two thousand one. Not intro, but the two thousand one Space Odyssey. I guess it is the intro. I'm trying to remember if that's the, literally the first thing that happens in that movie. But also, also Spock Zarathustra, that song. Uh-huh. Da, da, da. Yeah. That was like our entrance at the one show we played. And uh-huh. it was like fucking epic. And it's like blasting. Like whoever's doing this, they did a great job. You know, they cranked the, yeah. the intro music up. And then we go to start playing. And like all our amps were just not on. And it was like this like horrible, like that's oh, what we get for trying to do this epic like intro. Moment. Oh my yeah. God. But that set was fun. I feel like we'd always like cover something. I think we covered Nirvana territorial, territorial pissings in that set, which it's was fun. It's a surefire way to get everybody paying attention. That's a yeah. hack. It's a hack. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Nirvana or minor threat are the two bands that you can always go to to cover that everyone will pay attention and no one will be mad yeah i think it's a good one um what uh so you guys did a few records on um on red scare before you ended up going over to uh to epitaph um i saw on the weight of the uh, weight of air record you guys ended up working with andy cook and also uh eric kronstein or kronstein Mm -hmm. how do you say it Kronstein, yeah. Kronstein, yeah. Who, like, those are two people that seem like you had started a relationship recording with, like, a little bit earlier on. Um, yeah, like, what was it like, you know, doing those full lengths with them? Uh, it was awesome. So, yeah, we, so I knew Andy Cook from, yeah, like, my first Way concert back. Going yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. And then we started playing shows together and we'd tour together. And he, him and Eric both went to the same, I think, recording school in Ohio. I think it was called the Recording Workshop. And they worked at this studio in downtown Cleveland. Um, and it was like a pretty legit studio. Like I think like the the guy that would either owned it or recorded there a lot, like recorded like one of the Bone Thugs records. So he was and he would like do other kind of more like pop type stuff. So yeah. they like they were like legit I don't know, like Andy and Eric had like experience in this real studio kind of setting. Um, but Eric was like, I'm gonna start my own thing and that was around the time when we were going to try to do uh, Weight of Air. And I think we had maybe asked Andy if he wanted to do it. And he was like, oh, you guys should record with my friend Eric. And he, like, the day that we were recording, like Eric was literally like unboxing like the his studio stuff. And we just used like a random like recording space that was, I forget whose it was, like in Akron. But we were like unboxing microphones to just use on this like session. And then just like. I, I, yeah it was it was awesome because we were i don't know it was very like kind of diy but also like they knew they knew what they were doing so it i thought it, it like sounded sweet so uh yeah one of the things i noticed is like though you worked with a lot of the same people early on uh a lot of the studio names changed you know yes. it's like different actual studios that you recorded at and i found that to be pretty interesting yeah well eric well yeah so i forget what the name of the place was in akron and then eric eventually 
had a space in Columbus he was renting that was like a legit studio called the Tone Shop, which he now has another studio called the Tone Shop that he he does in Cincinnati, like built out a whole space and it's like sweet. Um, but yeah, the one in the one in Columbus was just a place he had rented that someone had this studio um, and like a bunch of bands, pretty much all of our friends bands in Columbus recorded there because it was like a sweet space and Eric was really good. So Sidekicks recorded there, St. Seneca recorded there, Delay and Tin Armor recorded there. And that was like a cool time, like whatever. I forget when it was like 2011, 2010 to like 2012 or so. Yeah. Um, yeah, like everyone was just making full lengths there and it was rad. Like we would just go there and hang out at the studio and just be like, see what people are making. What uh what was the first record that you ended up getting on vinyl? Uh I think So Long Soggy Dog eventually ended up on vinyl very briefly. I don't even think I have a copy. Like I think it was three hundred copies and then we just never oh, pressed wow. it. Yeah. I think it was like I don't even know who made the vinyl because yeah, cause uh Red Scare didn't do vinyl at the time. Like Toby was like, No, I don't want to do vinyl like CDs. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> Interesting. Is vinyl something that ever like interests you? Like, were you ever someone who collected it? Was that like an exciting moment to get that for the first time? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I started collecting vinyl like before I moved to Columbus. And I think I, I don't know when I got the, I had a stereo when I moved to Columbus. I'm pretty sure. Like I was like in the dorms at, osu and i just remember like people in the hallways being like what the hell like what is this old time and the and the kid that i ended up having as a random roommate also like had vinyl and was oh, like nice. into it so we were like the old the old guys like room like oh <laughs> my phonograph <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah i started collecting vinyl it was kind of like because band when i was living in cleveland like we were going to like diy shows and like um like bands were playing the soggy dog and we were like, I would get their seven inch or their full length or whatever. Um, the, so then you guys ended up, uh, you know, going to, to epitaph and then you did the, the runners in the nerved world record. And I know you did that with, uh, with Phil Elk. Um, was that your first time Eck. recording with, uh, what is it? Eck. Eck. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that your first time recording with somebody that you weren't already like had a prior relationship with? Um, I'm trying to think. Aside well, from we maybe kind of met. Like we kids. kind of met Eric when we did Weight of Air. Like, I don't think we really had met him before we started doing Weight of Air. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I played in Saint Seneca, and we went and recorded with, uh, Mike Mogus. So that was kind of like my first recording experience, where it was like this person who I've listened to a lot of their records, and I know their name, and I'm yeah. Like, kind I of had, like I had starstruck a, note. a bit totally. so going and recording with mike was that was that experience for me where it was just like whoa and that kind of like that kind of gave us some ideas of maybe seeing like what else the sidekicks sidekicks could try to do in, in terms of just like who we could work with like with recording or putting out records and stuff just like seeing what zach was doing with saint seneca and my like i don't know just playing in that band and just seeing a little bit of the inner workings of like the biz and like how, like how sometimes those people are literally just like you send them some music and they might be interested and then you just start working together. Totally. But you don't know unless you try, like they're not, they're not sitting there scouring the internet. They've got enough things. I don't know, going in front of them. Sure. Yeah. I was curious with, uh, well, I, I made a note of the Mike Mogus thing. Cause that is a, a, he's someone that whenever I have a guest on here that has worked with him, I'm always curious of, cause I like, I was a big saddle Creek kid. 
and uh he's definitely the person responsible for so many of those recordings um but yeah it's like yeah. you know you move Phil... to... oh Go sorry ahead. please well i was gonna say phil was like like working with phil eck like with that epitaph release i feel like it was super interesting because that was not like that wasn't a thing I th- we thought was going to be like feasible. And we were like talking with Brett, like the first time we went out and like met people at Epitaph and stuff. He was like, well, who do you guys have in mind for recording? I was like, well, I don't know. Like he was like, I was like, I don't think it would really work out. But he was like, well, no, well, who is it? I was like, well, I, like my dream thing to have happen would be we record with Phil Eck. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know. I think like there's they had had some bands on Epitaph that had recorded with him before. So all it took was just saying the word yeah i felt very like fortunate but that was like mind-blowing because i was like beyond obsessed with all of phil's recordings like i just was like this is what we must do and yeah so, that was incredible because you start to hear i mean i don't know if you're if, if uh this is something that you talked to about especially at the time but like i mean there was points in sidekicks records where you could hear like potentially like fleet foxes influence and like the vocal harmonies and things like that so i was curious if that was one of the main driving forces to like wanting to go record with him because he had done some of those early fleet foxes records oh yeah i think like maybe like helpless helplessness blues came out around when we were doing um awkward breeds i think i'm pretty sure because i just remember like listening to that record and how that record flowed and everything and kind of like trying to write songs to fill out a full length in a similar way, just like thinking in that way, but then trying to apply it to like our band. There was a few songs that got cut off awkward breeds that were a little more fleet foxes. But mm. when we played it as a full band, it was just kind of whack. Cause I think what makes that band so good is like, they're, you know, like it's like insanely talented, like <laughs> these orchestrated harmonies. And we're like used to playing in, you know, basements and we're trying to, you're trying to scream these harmonies over like loud drums and guitars and like, I don't right. know, but no. it's kind of fun to try and see like what your own version of that can be. Yeah. So how long was that recording session? It was like six weeks. I'm pretty oh sure. Oh my God. We, yeah. We drove out to Seattle. Speaking of like driving all the way, we drove all the way out. We played like one little show in Chicago and then drove all the way back at the end. And wow. Just, yeah, it was how- sweet <laughs> how did uh i mean like how i mean it's a general question but like did you guys get along really well like did he understand what the band was trying to go for like was that was that like an intimidating experience i think for some of the folks in the band like it might have been i think actually yeah for all of us it was intimidating just because he's like you i don't know our experiences working with friends or working with eric or people that we've recorded with and even mike like i think up till then like because different engineers have different kind of, you know, like ways they want to approach tracking. And Phil definitely wants to get the sound and the take. Like, he just wants that to happen. He doesn't want to have to be editing stuff later. And he doesn't want to have to be, like, doing a ton of crazy EQing. Like, you're sitting there just, like, trying different amps, trying different mics, replaying the part, like, singing the part a ton of times until it's, like, that's it. And he's... And then he also, like... I don't know. I think there was a moment for each one of us throughout tracking it that we all thought that we were going to be like that he was going to fire us. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> he was just but he's super fun, too. Like, he's real jokey, but he's also just like it's like quality control. He's just like, this is where this is the level that this record needs to be at. And yeah. like, we're going to hit we're going to get there. And like, he pretty much I don't know, he like whipped us into shape. Like, it's just like, all right, that's not it. No. And I feel like we're like, what? Like, we're just so used to people telling us that we're amazing or something. <laughs> it's sometimes nice to have that uh to to be humbled a little bit 
you know, it's like, it's, it's important yeah. for everybody, I think. Yeah, well, I think he, he talked about, like, sending Robin Pecknold to get voice lessons, where I was like, well, if Robin had to get voice lessons, I'm screwed. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but, like, the one, because we started doing vocals, and then, like, that night, I remember, like, I clenched my jaw so hard that night that I woke up, and I was like, I couldn't really, like, open my jaw. Like, it was, like, so, like, it was, like, <laughs> I was just so nervous. Oh, my God. Because uh, we tracked a bunch, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if this works out. I don't know. And then, like, his assistant like comp together a vocal take and we go and we like listen back and he was just like oh that actually sounds pretty good okay and i was just like oh my god i almost like oh was like yeah i barely slept jesus so Christ. we were good he yeah, got yeah, what yeah. he needed out of me uh you know i couldn't find you know i sh- probably should have just gone to the lp behind me but who who actually recorded happiness hours uh john and yellow oh who's done amazing. like a lot of dinosaur junior stuff yeah. and, like kurt vile and like Waxahachie more recently. Yeah, I think I talked about him with um, Dom from Nothing because I think Nothing did a record with him as well. How was that? Yeah. Experience? How was that experience for you? I think the Nothing record was going on almost like inner. It was like in between two, the two recording sessions oh. we did with John, which John was he was just so funny because he's like, "You guys are like night and day. Like you guys are the light, and Nothing is the darkness." <laughs> um, it makes a lot of sense. John was great. John was a situation where it was like set your amps up and like we it felt like we were playing a show or something like and we were very like prepared at that the point because I don't know. I think I think we learned a lot with recording with Phil where it was just like we kind of took that experience and we were like, OK, yeah, we, we should go in and be like really prepared and our instruments should be like get your guitar set up, like get your amp retube, like just all these things where it's just yeah. like, I don't know, usually show up and just hope you can figure it out. Whereas he's like, no, you guys bring you guys bring the goods. I'll I'll make it. I'll like capture it. But like, just kind of like approaching it with a little more like serious work ethic, maybe. So when we went to John, it was just kind of like, I feel like he just works really quick. So it's just like we. It felt very natural. Like we're just performing the songs, and I don't know, just sounded sweet. Like pretty immediately. Yeah. So that was like a, a like a lot quicker of a process. But we also like I had a long list of all the things I wanted to track, and it was just like we did everything on the list. So. It wasn't like, I don't know. Did you, like the, did you have any new influences that have come into your life uh, while writing that record? Because that's like, uh, of all the records that you guys did, like that's that was my favorite. Um, and the one I like connected with the most, I think that was the one that I, that was like one of my favorite records of that year. Uh, and I'm just curious from like an outside perspective, you know, like I have my own ideas of what like you might've been into at the time, but I was curious to talk to you about it. Like what, what, was there anything new that you had entered your life? Like sonically that you were going for with that record? Hmm. I don't think I could pinpoint like one specific thing. Cause like each record, I probably was like really into like several different sorts of things throughout the whole process. Like whether it be like in the songwriting kind of phase. Um, so I, I it's hard to say like I feel like I was trying to embrace the fact that the sidekicks were like a rock band and try to like write songs that weren't because because sometimes I would just write songs just like in my room quietly on acoustic guitar and we just kind of try to just figure out how this is going to work as a band versus like some of like the guitar riffs I was like I'm trying to come up with a cool riff like twins twist or like weed tent where it's like this is a cool like guitar riff that i think works like almost like i don't know i probably got into like i maybe listened to the beatles a lot more earlier and then maybe got into the rolling stones a little more around <laughs> like happiness hours wow um, i could yeah. i think happiness hours too had a lot more of like uh ryan who plays bass 
in sidekicks. Like he, I don't know, like kind of brought a lot to the table when we were like coming up with the arrangements for the songs and stuff. So there's definitely a lot of like a lot more of like his like input on it. We had a new guitar player, Toby, who like brought a whole other side of things to that yeah. as well. Like I, I think it was like a real like collaborative sort of like. I, to me, it feels like the most like sidekicks sidekicks album, if that makes sense. Like sure. we were just like, this is what our band sounds like, and we're, I don't know, just trying to like capture a good version of how we sound. I guess. I mean, you talked about early on in this episode about uh, your connection to pop when you're a kid, and I think it's also like vocally the most like pop driven record. You know, like yeah. the, the hooks that you're coming up with and the vocal cadences that you applied on that record that now with Superviolet are I feel like even more prominent you know it, it feels like that was like the start point to where you are now I, does that make any sense to you totally I well I think to me the main thing was like it was less trying to figure out how to like get our sound to be like these things that we all really liked and more like embracing embracing like just finding I don't know like melodies or like chord progressions or like riffs or whatever that just felt cool to us and we don't we don't have to know why we like it or what would be cool about doing this specific type of thing. Be like, Oh, if we did this sort of like, I don't know, like, like sometimes you throw ideas out there that like reference a band, like be like, Oh, this is kind of like the strokes or kind of like maybe like spoon or something like that. But at the, but in the core of like what those songs were. And I feel like how I was trying to sing and like, I don't know, it felt the most like, me being more comfortable with just my own voice, I guess. And mm. like so- in, in songwriting and in like singing it. And I feel like I took that a little bit like further, maybe with super violet. Uh, and is, so let's talk about super violet. Uh, the record's awesome. It's definitely going to be in my, in my top favorite records of the year. I feel like that when, it, when that first single dropped, I was like just very instantly in, um, and also funny so much. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, it's fun with overraters, especially because being someone who is also Epitaph alumni, hearing the Felicia Matt line was uh, was like the most like, wow, this is this could not be more inside baseball. I love it. <laughs> situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cats out of the bag now. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, wow. Holy shit. Matt McGreevy getting the shout out. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was uh because there's also the line about like the surprise six the surprise sixth album was that supposed to be a uh a sidekicks reference i'm assuming yeah i think i can't remember if i'm pretty sure i that song or at least that part of the song was written while the sidekicks were still a band oh so, interesting got it got it yeah yeah for for if that makes it cooler or less cool i don't know uh, well, I was, yeah i was so did you <laughs> but i but i felt like it made it still made sense to sing it as once the sidekicks weren't in a, a band anymore too yes That's how i felt about it, where i was just like oh this is even cooler because i'm just singing about this i don't yes. know i still have this reference point for my life and because the song's in a in a vague way just kind of about playing in a band yeah yeah so, and yeah. i love an easter egg i love a reference hell yeah you know <laughs> um did you uh, i think i had read so was this record record was this like an all home recording situation yeah pretty much we had like a practice space we did drums at but then the rest was either at my place or zach's place okay and he and for a time he lived in the apartment like next door and he would just hop over this like little half balcony we had and just bring his preamp and bring whatever mics or whatever and 
that was like how we were doing vocals. Just either I'd sit there and play the guitar part and sing it, or we'd just do the vocal and kind of like once a week ish, we'd just be like, all right, let's, let's try this stuff. And then like, kind of, I would like practice whatever thing I was going to do next or like figure out changing some lyrics or whatever. And we would just try the next thing. And it was like over a long span of time. So it was like the opposite of doing happiness hours where it's like you drive out to New York, you come back with from New York, like with the record or whatever. This was way like very prolonged. And I had never myself like mixed a record before and like, I tracked demos and stuff and Zach had recorded like St. Seneca stuff, but he also never like, I don't think like tracked a full, like full length before really. So it was sort of a new experience for all of us. That was really fun and challenging. Okay. And you know, with that being said, like, was it hard to know when the record was done, you know, because Hell it's like yeah. you're, you're doing it yourself. <laughs> you're like, you're continuing to write these songs. Like, yeah, it was, it sounds like it was like to know, like, okay, this thing is ready to be considered a record. Oh, definitely. There was a lot of times. And like Kosama, my wife, she's like, I don't know. I feel like she heard it so many times and you'd get, you'd play someone a mix or, or just like a version of a song and be like, I thought, isn't this done? And it's just like the people that are surrounding us, just like hearing this, these things like over and over again. And like, yeah, like when I was figuring out how to mix music, that was, yeah, like a painful long time. And eventually it was weird. Cause even when I feel like I got the point where the mixes, I was like, kind of cool with it mostly just came from like sanders and zach and and kosama and leticia like saying like oh yeah this sounds good and i'm just like really <laughs> i'm done <laughs> this is like i didn't feel like i ever like was like i mean there were t- there were definitely times throughout where i was like all right this one i always felt big songbirds actually came together pretty well like early on there mm-hmm. was points where i feel like each time we'd add something it just was like the song was happening like pretty much the whole time through other ones like mix wise. It took a little bit to like figure out what needed to happen. And a lot of that was like Zach, just like, I don't know. I just like sent him whatever. He'd be like, can you send me this like vocal, like just the track and he'd go and just like mess around and create like some weird, like just sounds like a guitar solo, but it's like, like just messed around with my vocal or I don't know. We just, there was like no rules really. And it, and it was just like, however long it takes to find the thing that the song needs, that was how long it was going to take. Oh man. And where did your relationship with uh Lamo record starts? Like did, did, was this a thing that like you sent them once the thing was done as like, Hey, this is something I'm trying to do. Or were they, were they like, were you guys like collaborating on this as soon as the project kind of came to fruition? Um, I didn't really start like even showing any other people like the songs and like pretty much it stayed like very like exclusive to like the like five of us it was like no one else was really hearing it and i was ta- i would talk about it. i'm like oh I'm, I'm just working on this new thing they're like i feel like i talked to people like well what is it like is it a solo project is it this and then i'm just like i don't know i was like oh i'm trying to finish it and it was like for like a year and a half you're talking about it and it felt like it was it felt like it was never gonna happen you know mm. But eventually it was like, all right, we got to finish this. We got to finish this. And like once we kind of had like even like being done with the mixes, it was mainly just to get the songs to a point that we felt like we didn't want it to be this thing that was like you send to people and they're they're like, if it wasn't mixed, they're kind of like, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, like if we didn't mix it and it was this home recording, like a label or someone might feel like it's, you know, because you because. I don't know, you kind of don't know what something's going to end up being able to be until it's actually mixed. Mm. So we wanted it to have like, just like the songs to have the impact that we felt like they could when we sent it around. So then we just started sending it around to like literally any 
any label or person we could think of and lamo was was on that list and eric and eric and it was only a few songs and eric i think hit me back the same day and was just like these songs are great i'm i want to put this record out <laughs> like he didn't even i was like wait do i hear the whole thing he's like no i don't need to i think it was like overrated big songbirds and good ghost and he was just like this is amazing let's do it <laughs> oh that's that had to have felt pretty nice are you someone that uh needs to have people around you reminding you to like keep going with something or are you someone you feel like is just always going to be writing songs no matter what um probably that i don't know it's one of those things that i don't know if if that will that part of my brain will turn off or not but i think it's like i think like having the thing that i'm working towards just it's like like I said, like about the so long soggy dog thing where it was like, that's when I kind of became just sort of like obsessed with like putting albums together. I feel like I, in my mind, I'm always just like, if I'm writing some songs, I'm always just like, well, what's this next thing going to be? Or like a, whatever, if it's like an EP or something, I like to just have that little project that I'm sort of like mulling over in my mind, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, is the plan to try to tour hard on this or what's, what's your, yeah. What, what are you, uh, what are you hoping to achieve this year now that the record's out? Uh, probably not very much touring. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah. That was sort of like the switch that happened kind of during COVID was like sort of started working on these songs, but then I also was like, I'm going to go back to school and like the sidekicks were done. And like part of that was like, we toured so much and I was a little bit burnt out on just being on the road all the time. And, I wanted to just mess around with seeing like, oh, maybe being home would be cool (laughs) and not being gone all the time. Uh, So I'm actually in school right now, so I'm not going to tour very much except for, you know, school break time. Fair, 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 fair. What do you you mind if I ask what you're in school for? Uh, No, I don't mind. Uh, I'm in school for physical therapy. So I actually just started like a clinical rotation thing. So I'm up in Cleveland right now doing that. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Well, good on you for being able to separate those two different parts of your life. So many of us who do this for so long feel like we don't have anything else to do, you know, like, and that's like a tough thing for a lot of us to navigate. So like, good on you for like taking that step and like finding this other direction that you wanted to pursue. Yeah, it was like, it's kind of terrifying, but it's also like sort of fun. I feel like just to be like thrown into these new situations, like, I don't know when I'm like older and most of the people that are doing this now are like whatever, 23 or something. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to like, I don't know, just like challenge yourself with something new. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But also scary. But like, as you get older, I feel like it keeps, I don't know. It keeps you feeling young, I guess. Like I'm not like, I don't feel like I'm super old, but you know, like I, I, I like just like trying new things a lot. Like I like just putting myself in situations that I'm mildly uncomfortable just to like, I feel like that's how you kind of grow. Definitely. 1000%. Um, well, shit, man, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? Uh, I feel like that was like this along soggy dog, uh, album release show sort of like what I talked about before. Like we worked on, we worked really hard on this, like full length and, um, up till then, like everyone I was in high school with just made fun of me for trying to play in like a band and like stuff. And I felt like we like playing, putting out a full length and like of songs that I feel felt like I was like, Oh, this is actually good. Like not something I look back on now and I'm feel like embarrassed about. I feel like that was, I, and then like we played this house show at the soggy dog where all these like 
cool bands that had been touring through like DIY bands that we saw and like kind of looked up to like then we played there and like we had like a good crowd and people were singing along and stuff and it just felt like the first time where our music like we kind of had made this like connection with people and it was like this super like joyous like awesome moment I guess I love that that's awesome yeah hell yeah thanks for hanging out with me today Steve thank you so much this has been awesome And that is our show. Thank you so much to Steve for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Steve answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. That's it for me. Take care of yourself. Have a good rest of your week. Be good. Bye-bye.